Monday, July 17th. I mean, we're already halfway through the month of July. The summer's going by quickly. And what a weekend. If you love San Francisco, what a weekend this city just had. I mean, first of all, it was absolutely gorgeous outside. We had blue skies. Uh, the last three Dead & Company shows were at the park. Great set lists. I mean, kind of uh, three shows in a row pulled off without flaws. It was fantastic. The Giants, meanwhile, were on the other side of the country, sweeping the Pittsburgh Pirates. Curry was up in Tahoe, winning golf tournaments and hitting holes in one, for goodness sakes. What a charmed life that guy lives. While Trace Jackson Davis was showing you, hey, everybody, I can play down in Las Vegas, certainly played better than maybe the entirety of the Warriors Summer League actually played. They finished winless in Summer League play, but Trace Jackson Davis was very good. And look, I'm I'm having water balloon fights with my kids in the backyard. It was, it was a good weekend. I hope it was a great weekend for you. Welcome on back to the Damon Bruce Show into the Plus. It's wonderful to have you along once again um the giants let's start right there shall we because the giants took three in pittsburgh and with the sweep of the pirates the giants began their second half and their longest road trip of the entire year on a very very good note broom hilda somewhere this afternoon is still in pittsburgh eating pierogi, really enjoying herself. She's the kind of gal who fits in perfectly in Pittsburgh. So good to see Broomhilda have such a wonderful landing spot. Maybe she's going to get an Iron City beer. Maybe she's going to Permani Brothers. You know, it's it's good time to be Broomhilda. And look, the only thing I can tell you about the Giants, and I've seen a little of the pre-show chat, a couple people saying, I haven't paid much attention to the Giants so far this year. Well, it's time to lean in because this is, for all intents and purposes, going to be a playoff team. They're going to the playoffs. If they keep up the pace that they're on right now, and by the way, their pace since May 1st, they're 41 and 25. That's the second best record in baseball behind only the Atlanta Braves who have been cooking with fish grease all season long. So the Giants got a little something going and they've kept it going as we step into the second half. They're now one and a half games out of first place behind the Dodgers. They have won five in a row when you see what they did against Colorado before the All-Star break started. So it's a good time. For the San Francisco Giants right now to really be considering themselves buyers here at the deadline. And oh my gosh, I even heard Eric Karros on MLB Network use the name Otani when talking about a possible solution at the trade deadline for the San Francisco Giants. We will get to all of that, but again, it is great to have you here. Welcome to another week of the Plus. It's actually going to be, well, I, I shouldn't even... Bill, it is a short week, but on Friday, Jillian and I are leaving early. We're going down to Pismo. We'll be there at the beginning of next week, too. So some of the shows might be a little scattershot. We might do some live stuff from out on the road or on vacation, but um, we're basically plucing it up here Monday through Thursday, and then a little much-needed break for uh, Mrs. and Mr. Pluce and the kids 
we're going to take the water balloon fight down to Pismo for a little while. So uh, lots, lots going on. Um, it is really good that you're here once again. I want to say thank you to my sponsors, as always. Without them, uh, none of this would be, I'd, I'd, I'd say none of it would be possible, but that might not be true. Uh, none of it would be profitable. How about that? And I don't even know if we're still officially in that category, but we're on our way. Thanks to my guy, this guy right here, Ike's. Have you had an Ike sandwich yet this week? Probably not because it's only Monday and the week just started. Well, make sure you work an Ike sandwich into your weekly schedule. You should be eating one a week. There's no doubt about that. In my mind, you should be eating at Ike's once a week. It's one of those, I could eat Chinese food once a week. I could eat pizza once a week. I could do Mexican once a week. And I could do Ike's at least once a week. Anything you could think of, believe me, it's on the board. Go get yourself a sandwich at Ike's. Feeling more like a burger? Have we got a solution for you? It is in the inner Richmond. Go to Uncle Boy's. Get yourself a burger. Try the Lumpia. I was told, again, it's not a three-syllable name. It's Lumpia. Get the Lumpia. Pork and chicken lumpy is awesome. Their onion rings are awesome. The french fries are awesome. The business is awesome. It is as San Francisco, born and bred as the Grateful Dead themselves. Right in the inner rich, get yourself to Uncle Boy's next time you feel like picking up a burger. And next time you want to pick up a cocktail, make sure it is filled with blackened whiskey by Metallica. Uh, I absolutely love blackened whiskey. I see several plucers are picking up bottles. They're showing them to me. They're enjoying it. Come on, get yourself a bottle of blackened. You can pick it up at any BevMo, basically anywhere. And if the place that you buy your liquor isn't carrying blackened, ask them to pick up a case. Tell them it's going to move off those shelves and you'll be one of the first to buy. So get yourself a delicious bottle of blackened whiskey. And thanks again to our sponsors here. Um, Summer's moving right along, and I'll tell you, the Giants are moving into a four-game series starting, I believe, 4.05, so you can have an early or a late lunch or an early dinner with the San Francisco Giants tonight. One of the more intriguing series of the entire summer begins in Cincinnati. Now, the Reds, who have been really one of the best first-half stories around all baseball, have cooled off a bit. I believe what they've lost four straight, so they've slipped out of first place. Maybe it's the right time to catch these Cincinnati Reds. They got some really interesting pieces. Ellie Delacruz is the talk of, of the National League in terms of rookie explosions. And Patrick Bailey's still right in the middle of his rookie explosion year. So the Giants got a rotation set up where it's Webb starting the series tonight. Di Sclafani coming off the IL. Stripling and Cobb are going to go in Cincinnati. And again, the NL Central, I'll just tell you this, as interesting as the Reds are, and as close to first place as they might be, the entirety of the National League Central is made up of false profits. As a matter of fact, there's just one team in the entire division, the third-place Chicago Cubs, which are very much convincing themselves. Who are they kidding? They're sellers here at the deadline. They're really not buyers. The only thing that might prevent them from doing that is they're looking at their own division and thinking, this isn't out of the question. Because the Central is one big, gigantic yawn of underachievement. Only the Cubs... Only the third-place Cubs have a positive run differential in the entire National League Central. So let's see what the Giants do. It's a four-game series in Cincinnati. I don't want to hear a word about Skyline Chili or how good it is. It is as overrated a local cuisine as you can find in America, full stop, 
That's the way that goes. Uh, let's see. We got the Red Sox coming to Oakland to face the A's. And as usual, there's nothing but pain out there for A's fans. The A's come out of the break, immediately swept by the Twins to drop their record to 25 and 70. Ugh. 25 and 70. That is a 263 winning percentage. Uh, that is all John Fisher's doing. And the run differential is maybe the most embarrassing statistic that you could apply to any team in Major League Baseball. The A's have a run differential of minus 253. They've allowed 253 runs to be scored more than they have scored. What just a, a disgrace. I mean, it's just a it's a disgraceful statistic. It's disgraceful. And not only is it emblematic of bad ownership and everything that we've said about John Fisher, all of it. But it's also emblematic of, hey, collectively for a team that wasn't built to win, like you guys aren't even overachieving beyond going to be losers. Like you're going to be galactic, historic losers. It's awful. The, a the A's play unwatchable baseball pretty much across the board. It stinks. Uh, what Giants fans, though, I saw a lot of people ask me to comment on it. We're going to have an Otani Tuesday for you tomorrow. Um, Eric Karros said that Shohei Otani to the Giants could be something to watch at the trade deadline on MLB Network. Okay, sure. Like, go ahead and do that. You should absolutely go ahead and do that if you're Farhan, and I really don't care what the haul is, who you'd have to include, like half the farm system and Jock Peterson to get him to San Francisco, to have an exclusive window to then negotiate a long-term deal with this guy before he actually hits free agency. Look, you're telling me that the San Francisco Giants couldn't use either the guy who could lead all of baseball in home runs or a Cy Young candidate because Shohei Otani is both. He is both. So, uh, you know, would it, are you, is it going to have to hurt a little to add a guy like Otani? The answer is yes, but whatever pain that might be would be worth it. Would be worth it. Like, here's the thing, even as a rental, even if he really wanted nothing to do with the giants going forward, adding him to the team this year changes the makeup of that team and the chemistry of how this baseball team functions so dramatically. I mean, it might even still be worth it. It really might be, you know, what would you give up again? Half the minor league system, Jock Peterson to get him to San Francisco. Sure. Sure. It's Shohei Otani. It's quite literally Babe Ruth. And we'll have, well, he's better than Babe Ruth. And I've done videos about that. We've talked about that. He's better than Babe Ruth because he's playing better competition day in, day out in a more, you know, systemically designed to make every at-bat a living nightmare world of baseball that every baseball player occupies now. It's not only like Shohei's living in that world. Every baseball player lives in a harder baseball world than the world that Babe Ruth lived in. It's just easy to see. There's nothing to even debate there. And there's really nothing to debate when it comes to how good Otani truly is. Because I saw this Hector Gomez, who covers baseball, tweeted out this weekend. And this is incredible. You want some symmetry? We got some for you. So Babe Ruth 
hit 159 home runs in his first 674 career games. And as a pitcher by that time, he had amassed a 35 and 18 record over his first 455 career innings. So the numbers there are 159 and 35 and 18 over his four first um, 455 career innings, 159 home runs, 35 and 18 in his first 455 innings. Shohei Otani, same amount of games, 160 home runs. So one more win or one more home run than Babe Ruth in his first 674 games with a 35 and 19 record. Again, Babe Ruth was 35 and 18 over his first 455 career innings. We are watching George Herman Ruth in real time. For those who are not getting it and claim to be beloved Major League historians who want to tell you how good it used to be, the fact that you can't identify a modern absolute statistical equivalent in a harder league than Babe ever played in as the greatest baseball player of all time. Again, that's on you. If if you are old enough to have a serious conversation about baseball and in any way are trying to deny who this guy is, like you were one of those people early on in Michael Jordan's career saying, you know, I think Larry Bird's better than Michael Jordan. Do you? Because look, Larry was great, but he ain't that. And that's like day one of the bunny hill being able to do the measuring who is who versus who. Come on. Guys, absolutely incredible. By the way, the Angels and Astros. We don't talk a lot of Angels and Astros, and rightfully so. There's really not a reason to. But they played some wild baseball this past weekend. Uh, 56 runs in an entire series that saw seven ties and 10 lead changes. There were 32 runs scored in the seventh inning or later. That's the most in any three-game series since the Giants and Rockies did that back in 2012. The Astros had a 99% chance to win at one point on Saturday and they lost that game. Then on Sunday, the Angels had a 99% chance to win that game and end up losing at that point. They lose the game despite Otani hitting his major league leading 34th home run of the season. I mean, my God, he is so good. He is unbelievable. But if you really wanted to talk about the charmed lives we're seeing, uh, folks, I, I don't I don't know if there's ever been a modern and we're going to we're just going to track eras based on this is the social media era. Steph Curry's entire career has happened under the relentless scrutiny of the social media era. Is he the most perfect athlete of our lifetimes when you think about just wrapping it all? Your entire life is now under an unrelenting microscope. How you doing under that unrelenting microscope? Steph Curry would have to say, well, you know, you know what? Here's the thing. Not only am I doing fine, the argument that I'm excelling here is easy to make, and it borders on freaking perfect. I mean, it really does. 
It's unbelievable what this guy does with his life, his career, with his family, with his profession, with his free time, because golf is done in his free time, except when he actually hopped on the element of the tour that is the ACC championship up in Tahoe, and he wins it with an eagle putt on 18 that he's walking away from, knowing that it's money before it even drops, like the way he shoots three sometimes. And to just punctuate the weekend, as if winning the tournament wasn't enough, he hits a hole in one. I mean, Steph Curry is quite simply living one of the greatest lives ever lived. In the social media era, it's unbelievable. All the venom, all the trappings, all the hatred that anyone could fall into or could come for anyone, none of it comes for him. Or if it has come for him, he deflects it away like a hockey goalie. I mean, it's just unbelievable. He wins titles on the court. He wins title. He wins a title now on the course. He wins MVPs. He's got a picture-perfect family. He does it all with a smile. His reputation of, you know, well, what's it like to deal with Steph Curry? Everyone walks away with a positive feeling about dealing with Steph Curry. The guy simply walks on water. He is a sports deity living among us. It's basketball Zeus. It's unbelievable. It's more than though. It's, that's the thing. It's more than just basketball. It's more than basketball. How can you be perfect along every single degree of the 300 and what is it, 60 degree circle? Yeah, 360 is a circle. How, how can you be perfect along every single measurable compass point? And I feel like I'm overselling a, a reputation that no one could ever live up to. Uh, he, he he's living up to it. He's doing it in real time. And in his free time, he's winning golf championships. You telling me this guy might not pick up his clubs after his retirement day and join the champions tour. I, I, if you're live golf, you're not going to offer Steph Curry a billion dollars to join. Why wouldn't you? He'd be the only chance of anyone ever watching your tournaments that aren't associated directly with the PGA. Lord knows they got the money, but I don't know if Steph would take it. And that's why we love him, because he's freaking perfect. He plays every single moment of his life perfectly, from a titles victory standpoint to a PR standpoint to a how you feeling about me to how do I fit in the conversation to everything. Every single element of the guy is just chef's kiss spotless. We're lucky to be witnesses in real time. We truly are. We're lucky to be witnesses in real time. So while Steph Curry was up in Tahoe showing us all he's basically an immortal, um, Trace Jackson Davis was down finishing off his brief stint in Summer League. We only saw a couple of games out of him, but find me a rookie, and I really mean this, find me a rookie who is just as comfortable as he looks. I even tweeted this out over the weekend that when I think of, if, if I had to describe Trace Jackson Davis's first look to you, 
it would be using the same way I would describe the entirety of his senior season at Indiana. This kid, I keep on calling him a kid. He's a 23-year-old man, which is why I think he's going to fit in so well with the Warriors. Trace Jackson Davis is eminently comfortable on a basketball court. You can see an awful lot of guys early in their careers just looking uncomfortable, looking out of focus because they don't really know where to be on the court or the NBA action just feels a step quicker for them than they were ready to step into. By the way, Brandon Pajemski is suffering from this just a little bit. He does not look, Brandon Pajemski doesn't look bad, but I wouldn't describe him as looking comfortable either. Trace Jackson Davis looks comfortable. I think that's a really good start to an NBA career. And then beyond just looking comfortable and moving well, there's an element of production there that's pretty hard to ignore. In only 25 minutes, Trace Jackson Davis in his summer league finale scores 18 points with 10 rebounds, eight of them offensive rebounds, two assists, two steals, and two blocks in 25 minutes, only two turnovers. He can play, boys and girls. He can play. He can play because he's comfortable and he has been there, done that on a basketball court for so many years that the next level doesn't look like this huge effort to now meet the challenge of leveling up. He looks like he's ready to go. And I'm excited about him and I think you should be excited about him too. Trace Jackson Davis, um, really the bright spot. Lester Keonis, just a little bit of a bright spot as well. I wish that Brandon Pajemski had been more of a bright spot. And had he not been responsible for some of the turnovers, which he was all summer league responsible for, it felt like he had a five turnover game every time he played. Um, the Warriors went 0-5 down in summer league. Like, let's not pretend that summer league records really matter much or that tonight's Summer League finale between the 5-0 Rockets and the 5-0 Cavs is billed as one of the most important basketball games we'll ever watch. It's the Summer League. Individual performances mean a lot more than team accomplishments. You had a good individual performance out of Trace Jackson Davis. I thought you had a pretty good individual performance out of Lester Quinones. And when it comes to Pajemski, I'm going to take that B- minus I gave him. And after that last game, I, I got to bring you down to a C+, a strong C+. But not, not, a, not, a, not a great one. I'll, I'll say this. He looks like a natural rebounder. He does see the floor well, but he doesn't read the speed of the floor, which is not surprising coming from a guy who was playing in the WCC. Uh, way too many turnovers. And the shot maker that he was touted to be did not show up in one game in Las Vegas. Not one game. Now, consistency is the hallmark of becoming a, a, a steady pro. I'm not asking for consistency early. But you'd think that if, you're, if you are shooter, if you are this shooter, you're going to eventually knock down some freaking shots. The guy knocked down like no shots at any point in time in summer league. He really didn't. Um a harbinger of wasted draft pick? No, it's, it's way too early to say anything like that. But you'd have liked to see him 
play a little bit better. But Trace Jackson Davis, let me tell you, that Indiana education right there, there's the pennant. He's, he's, he's got himself a PhD in basketball. He's looking good. He's looking real good. A couple of other stories as Summer League winds down. We have two players who I think completely are telling on themselves and not in a good way. Did you see the interview that Joel Embiid did with Maverick Carter? Calling it an interview, by the way, it's it's kind of disrespectful to the concept of an interview where a, a real challenging question or a follow-up question might be asked. Maverick Carter just sat down for a publicity ball-washing moment with Joel Embiid. But in that moment, Joel Embiid told you everything about him that you need to know and pretty much spilled the beans that he will never be the magnet that draws an NBA championship to himself. Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP of the league, said, and I quote, I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or somewhere else. I just want to have a chance to accomplish that. I want to see what that feels like to win that first one, and then you can think about the next one. It's not easy. It takes more than one, two, or three guys. I have good people. Uh, you, you have to have good people around you, and myself, every single day, I work out and did blah, 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 blah. You fucking pussy. You're the reigning MVP, and you're already saying, you know, if I can't win it here, I'll try to go somewhere else. It takes more than me. That's why you're never going to win. Okay? I mean, just straight up. That is why you are a false prophet, Joel Embiid. Do you ever hear Steph Curry for a minute early on in his career talk about like, well, geez, you know, someday I just really want to win a title. And whether that be here or somewhere else, I just, it's got to happen. If it's got to happen, Joel, make it happen. Make it happen where you are in a city that deploys an awful lot of attention to the Sixers, that has an organization that throws money at problems. And, you know, I mean, come on, man. You're the reigning MVP, and you're already picking your nose, saying, well, if I can't happen here, it's going to happen somewhere. You bitch. I mean, I'm serious. Like, dude, come on. What, are you kidding me? That's pathetic. That's pathetic. The fact that Maverick Carter wouldn't be like, dude, what are you talking about winning a title somewhere else? Aren't you supposed to win a title right the hell where you are, just named MVP? That's some soft-ass shit, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm telling you, man. I, I don't even care about the Sixers or, or Joel Embiid, but I read that, and I just got pissed off. There's no way that guy should have been named MVP over Jokic last year. Ah, that felt like the sip of the day. It, it did. That felt like the sip of the day. You got Zion Williamson, by the way, also telling on himself, too. 
not just in interviews that he's giving, but how he presents and the choices that he makes. It's back in the, you know, junk drawer of your social media feed that that crazy ex of his who has completely shown herself to be as publicity stunt seeking, mentally challenged a side piece chick has ever been. Um, she is now saying that he he beat her, he beats women, and she didn't want to let the NBA know about this, but she now feels it's her duty and that he owes her money. I mean, she just seems horrid and is maybe on that one seed line of scorned side hose. You know, she is not happy with the way she's been treated, and she will not let her Twitter thumb stop talking about this guy. Uh, beyond that, that headache that just doesn't seem to want to go away, uh, Zion was in Vegas doing some podcasts and talking about rededicating himself to the game, and he has admitted making bad choices and taking some things for granted. And, like, you know, I, I do, I guess, appreciate the self-awareness that comes with that admission. But while he's talking about how he's rededicating himself to the craft of basketball, I couldn't help but notice that he still has Pillsbury Doughboy face. He looks puffy, and that's being friendly about it. From someone who's got a little Pillsbury Doughboy face and has for his entire life been carrying that extra 20 that just can't go away, doesn't seem to go away, um, Zion Williamson's got fat cheeks, and his 25 pounds that he needed to lose, well, he needs to lose them still. Uh, it's a total failure of personal choices on this guy. The meals he eats, the lifestyle he keeps, the company he chooses, the jump-off chicks that he chooses. Like, you got to start making better choices, man. You just turned 23 a couple of weeks ago. But let me just say that Trace Jackson Davis is 23 feels an awful lot like a mature young man, and Zion Williamson's 23 just feels like one of the dipshit kids who get lost in the Wonka factory. I mean, really, he is he's, he's an immature guy that... How about this? The only saving grace to Zion Williamson's career at this point is that he's only 23. And he will be given several opportunities by a league that really wants him to succeed, to succeed. We'll see if he takes any of it. But, I mean, he looks as personally undisciplined as a guy who's just missed, basically, the last two years of basketball, DNP fat, and he's still fat. Make some better choices, dude. Hire a nutritionist. Stay inside. Stop ordering fried food. I know you live in New Orleans. I know temptation is all around you. But you got you to gotta do something other than burying yourself in plates of food and the wrong chicks. <laughs> Seriously. Little NFL news. Little NFL news for you. 
Uh, we'll start with a couple big stories, and we'll let you know uh, what's going on just locally with the 49ers. First of all, DeAndre Hopkins is about to be a Tennessee Titans wide receiver. You know, he talked an awful lot about it. it's win time. He wants to play with the right quarterback in the right situation. Well, you know, usually something that has more to do with where you might end up is the pile of money offered to you, and he took the biggest pile of money offered to him, and that means that Ryan Tannehill is about to be his quarterback. It's a two-year deal worth up to $15 million in year one if he hits all of his benchmarks, and look, even though he's decade into this league now, he can still play. Um, he had a very good season considering he just missed the first six games of the year with PED issues and an, a, a suspension. Um, and look, Tennessee might not be sexy. They might not offer this you know, elite quarterback, but Tannehill's better than he's billed to be. And Tennessee is, is a well-run franchise. It really is. It's, they're not bad. They're never a clown show. He's got a history with Mike Vrabel and offensive coordinator Tim Kelly that goes back to days of both of them coaching in Houston when DeAndre was enjoying some of the best seasons of his career. Um, and beyond, you know, whatever the Tennessee Titans weren't last year, they weren't really good at wide receiver. They get better with DeAndre Hopkins. Tennessee Titans wide receiver group had a total of two 100-yard receiving games last year. Hopkins matched that total despite missing the first six games of the season after serving his PED suspension. So every snap played by all Tennessee Titans or just snaps played in a suspension-shortened season, it's the same amount of 100-yard games produced. So Tennessee Titans got a little bit better, and you figured that stacking the box against Derrick Henry just got a touch more challenging. So I get why they made the move. And even though a lot of people say it's it's the wrong one, it's the bad one, I, I don't see it necessarily like that. So, um, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be running backs. You've seen the way running backs continue to be screwed over in the NFL's economy? And look, everything is a supply and demand and cost-effective issue. I get it. But there needs to be something done to better protect what elite running backs make as a salary, or we're going to basically reduce this league to the nameless, faceless running back group that you only are allowed to fall with during fall in love with during the rookie deals because the minute their rookie deal is up, everyone wants out of paying a running back what their actual value could be in football. I've always said that people go to football games as quarterback obsessed as we are, People go to football games to watch running backs break off long runs. I don't think there's anything more exciting that happens on a football field than a running back taking one to the house from the other side of the 50. I mean, that, that, that's what we're here for. That's the big play that I think is the sexiest big play you can find on a football field. Just blocking is perfect. Boom, gone. That's what I'm there for. Blocking is perfect, though is an element of any running back being able to do that. And spending your money on an offensive line is a great way to invest in whoever Joey running back room behind you. It doesn't really matter who it is. Albert Breer was writing about this today because at one o'clock 
Pacific time, the tag deadline expires. And we have three running backs, Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, and Saquon Barkley, all wondering what their new deal might look like if not having to agree to the franchise tag or put yourself in a position to where now you're holding out. Um, all can make $10.1 million this year under the current tag. Two, uh, uh, a, a two-tag total, because you can get tagged twice, would pay out to be about $22.2 million if they get tagged again. So that can be a baseline for a guarantee. And for them, it's probably worth it. Um, there's an injury risk, but it's not hard to find competent backs. It's almost like the NFL works against its own personal interests at time. A league that is basically worth infinity dollars won't grow the cap or leave the cap some special running back room. And, and the truth is we've got GMs across the board basically evaluating running backs where even if you had more of a cap room, it probably wouldn't be spent on that running back room. Dime a dozen is how they're looked at. So if you're not going to spend on running backs, you're going to spend more on offensive, defensive linemen, other skill positions, everywhere else. NFL teams clearly do not want to spend on running backs. And that's too bad. Like, mama, don't let your babies grow up to be running backs. If 14 million, and, and Albert Breer writes this, you build an offense around a guy, and even 14 million a year, which sounds like an awful lot for a running back just based on injury risk, it's still less than what Cortland Sutton or Hunter Renfro make at wide receiver. I mean, both those guys are good players. I'd, I think I'd rather have Saquon Barkley. You know, you're, you're just... If you're a veteran running back, you basically should take the best deal that is sitting in front of you at any point in time because the minute you say no to that, it's not like your agent is going to be going out and, and finding a better deal for you on the market. Every single team in football is looking for a blue light special on running back. This is what made the 49ers trade for Christian McCaffrey so bold because he's getting paid an awful lot and they gave up a ton of assets to to include him, but he's more than just a running back. That guy is the straw that I, straw that I think is going to stir the drink offensively for the 49ers. And basically, since the minute he showed up, he has opened up their offense like a skeleton key. So fascinating to see just how running backs get treated, don't get paid around the league. Um, it is, it's not just a rumor that these guys are not getting paid. It's a fact. It's a fact. So, mama, don't let your babies grow up to be running backs. 49ers rookies report on Tuesday. So, rookies getting ready in Santa Clara. We've got uh, Nick Bosa getting ready to have a deal in his back pocket that's going to pay him about $34, $35 million per season. He's about to become the highest paid player in football. We'll see if that doesn't actually drop before uh, Mrs. Pluse and I are on our Pismo Beach vacation. Um, but uh, look, it, it's just real simple. I, I mean, I know that there is a, a hype machine. That we'll hop into 
We'll hop into the hype machine in August because that's when preseason football starts. And there's a little bit to talk about, but really the 49ers, I could tell you who almost their entire roster is going to be right now. There really won't be an awful lot of surprises in terms of this guy made the team. This guy didn't make the team because they're loaded to bear in so many possessions uh, positions that it, it's real simple. Win the Super Bowl. It's a big ask. It's an awfully big place to start a year, but that is the ask of the 49ers. They got two seasons to do it under the current economic model that they're enjoying where Brock Purdy is paid so little. His, his salary, do you realize that Brock Purdy's salary is so small, it doesn't even count against the cap for the 49ers? Did you know that? He, his salary of about 800 grand a year doesn't even count against the salary cap. That's how insignificant drop in a bucket he's getting paid as a starting quarterback, which means you can throw money around the rest of this roster, which the Niners have. And they're enjoying a model right now that is built on you don't pay your quarterback very much. You can spread the cash around everywhere else, and you got a robust team with a, 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 a quarterback that might not be the best quarterback in football, but Kyle Shanahan says, hey, I don't need that. So go prove it, Kyle. Go get it done. Uh, something to watch, by the way, something to watch. I'm only one episode in, but the quarterback, it's called Quarterback, and it's on Netflix right now. I believe it's the number one streaming show on Netflix. It's, it's the first offering from Peyton Manning's Omaha production that went to Netflix and not directly to ESPN. That first episode was good. Patrick Mahomes, Marcus Mariota, and Kirk Cousins were the three featured quarterbacks in that first episode. And I don't know if this entire series is just going to stay on the three of them and track their entire seasons of last year or going to spread it around at some point, but this is good. I'm telling you, the way that Hard Knocks has basically been stocked down as a football documentary, QB, quarterback, is stock up. It's good. So... I'm going to be watching more and more of that. If you are watching here on YouTube, you're going to watch us turn the lights off, put the disco ball on, and get into Club Plus here in just a moment. If you're listening on the podcast, I thank you very, very much for doing that. I want to leave you with this. Today, in 1955, the state of California became a better place. Because today, in 1955, Disneyland opened to the public for the very first time. 1955, Disneyland, still going strong. I tell you, uh, going to Disney World in Florida when I was a kid is still, I mean, I remember it vividly. I was nine years old, and it's still the greatest vacation I've ever had in my life, basically. It, it was magical. It was magical. Disneyland is the place that I am most looking forward to bringing Jack and Ozzy when they're old enough to really grasp what's going on, old enough to be big enough and tall enough to ride this ride. I, I don't want to bring one of them, and you can go on Space Mountain. Other kid, tough. Suck it. You're not tall enough yet. You can't go. Like, I don't want to do that. I got it. They both got to be ready to roll. 
I can't wait. I can't wait for that moment. Uh, I had never been to Disneyland until the very first Christmas gift my wife ever gave me was two coupons to be redeemed for a trip to Disneyland the following summer, which we did go on. It was awesome. Me and Jillian. It's a small world after all. As a 48-year-old man, <laughs> I'm comfortable telling you, I love Disney. I freaking love Disney. Now, there's a lot wrong with the business model and what they've done to ESPN and the layoffs and the corporate greed and all that. I don't like any of that. But just like Disneyland, I, I love Disneyland. As someone who has to now sit through a ton of kids' movies, dude, if you, if you got to go kid movie, pray for it being a Disney movie. Pixar's got some good offerings. Disney pretty much crushes it across the board. The two movies that my wife wants to go see the most are still The New Little Mermaid, and she also really wants to get into Barbie. I'm like, I, I, I think I'd rather see Oppenheimer. She's like, you go to Oppenheimer, I'll go to Barbie. Okay. That feels about right. Thank you very much for stopping by today. It always feels right to be sitting here hanging out with you. I appreciate you choosing us once again. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. We're on our way to 7,000 subscribers in just our first three, four months alone. That would make me awfully happy if we can hit that before the end of the month. So subscribe it, like it, support it, love it. And Plus it up. We're about to get into Club Plus here in just a matter of moments. So let me thank you listening on the podcast for doing so today. It's wonderful to have you along. Please do remember as you go about your day, your afternoon, your evening, whenever you choose to listen, that sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that, whew, he's gone.